is Growing With My Fellow Growers, a cheap home grow podcast production live on YouTube. This is at Jack Greenstock. I am your host for this week. I'm joined by a small panel of guests so far. We're going to have a few joining us later on, but without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my first guest this week, Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. I, uh, I'm really excited about this podcast episode because I think it's a really good idea. By the way, if, you, um, if you're if you on the chat, take a look at the live chat, not the top chat, because live chat has more, um, you get more comments there. But uh, uh, suffice to say, if you're interested in IPM information, you can check me out on Instagram, at SyncAngel, also on YouTube channel Zenthanol, which is the same account that I'm commenting in the chat right now. Very good. And I also enjoyed your episode last night on fucking talking shit with Eagle. So uh, if people want to check that out more long form and a little bit more personal. That was a great episode. I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, next up, we have Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from Coco for Cannabis. Um, I invite you to come on over and check out our articles, tutorials and guides at Coco for Cannabis. Um, I was on uh, Max. I just saw him come into the, the chat. So Max Crimin Ruby has a new podcast out and I was a guest on that just dropped this week. So everybody should go check out that. And uh, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a, a fun episode rooms and tents and more. Oh my. Good stuff. I've also been on uh, Max's show talking bud shout out to him. Uh, I think Matthew's going to do that. And we've, I think Kyle Breeder's been on there as well. Um, he's got a few good guests so far. I love supporting other podcasts in the community. So shout out to Max and his podcast, Talking Buds. Next up, we have Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm um, Brandon Rust. I'm the owner of Bokashi Earthworks, and I'm uh, a private consultant, agricultural consultant for cannabis. Um, I, uh, you know, you can find me on Instagram. I'm probably shadow banned. I've been getting deleted a lot lately, but my account is Rust Brandon, R-U-S-T-B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Uh, you can kind of see what I'm doing there. Oh, I do have a special announcement. I'm going to be doing a drop with Mean Gene with the uh, Lime uh, the Lime One Backcross into my Limerilla 31 cut. So be on the lookout for that, everybody. It's going to be a little bit of uh, maybe like a couple months or maybe six, seven weeks. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, we're going to be dropping that pretty soon. I am certainly looking forward to that. I know Mean Gene's gear is killer and as is yours. So I think the people and especially the ones on this panel are uh, all looking forward to uh, trying out those seeds at some point. Lastly, but certainly not least, and uh, he's not going to be the last one officially because we have a few joining us later, but Spartan Grown. Hello, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You could best place to find me is on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Um, I'm a panelist here on the Chief Homegrown podcast. I'm on the GML show. All these are on YouTube and also at the um, Michigan Bros Grow Show. And there's several shows through them that I'm on. Uh, other than that, uh, just random places I pop up, Future Cannabis Project and some other places. Well, we are happy to have you back here as our uh, regular weekly appearance and always appreciate your input. As you may or may not know in the chat, uh, the live people that are here now, they could probably read the title. It says that we're going to be talking a little bit about going from uh, tents to grow rooms or tents versus grow rooms. And even sometimes people go from grow rooms back to tents. That was actually my personal experience uh, in growing. I started off in grow rooms and I'm in tents currently. 
but I wanted to bring up this topic because I think it is something a lot of growers, especially cheap home growers, uh, end up doing at some point. Maybe they realize, oh, I want some more space, so I'm going to transition from a few tents to a more dedicated grow room, or for whatever reason, they've got a grow room that they want to break down and uh, you know get maybe more variety, like control over lighting schedules and uh, different strains and maybe breeding, other reasons. Shout out to Lucky. I just uh, saw him pop up on Brandon's screen. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons for using both, and I thought it'd be kind of to go around the panel and get an idea of what you're currently growing in, why, and uh, maybe some of the ideas that you have about um, maybe potential upsides to that cultivation method. And we can also go around and talk about some of the drawbacks of that cultivation style. Um, and I guess we could start off with Doc, because I know like yourself, uh, living in California, limited with space, you are currently growing in a tent, if I'm re remembering correctly. Yeah. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts about uh, cultivating in tents and uh, maybe potentially transitioning to a grow room. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts about this. Um, you know, putting going into a grow room, um, it can be really efficient if you're going for, for quantity, if you're really looking for production. Um, and I think when you're really using rooms effectively, you wouldn't have a grow room. You would have a bedroom and a flower room um, or sort of several veg spaces and or couple of flower rooms or something like that um but you know there's a lot of a lot of trade-offs i think for home growers tents can be much more efficient um oftentimes uh, you know i see growers growing in a room they're fully lighting that room or to the best of their ability they're sort of fully lighting that room but the plants are occupying sort of a small portion of it um, so you want to be thinking about no matter what space you're in that you want to be filling sort of the space that you're in with canopy. Um, otherwise you're wasting sort of a lot of energy on an indoor grow situation. Um, but yeah, I, I go in one tent. I actually downsized my tent. So I only have a, a small four by two tent that I'm growing in for this grow. Um, and when I do get space to expand, I'm probably going to go into multiple tents in a room um, and, and sort of the advantage there is to being able to run different schedules, to being able to split up the harvest. Um, one of the things, if you have a large flowering room, man, at some point those plants are gonna be ready to harvest. And um, it's daunting to me <laughs> to think about harvesting more than sort of a, a 16 square feet worth of, of cannabis in one go. Um, even that is is daunting. So there's sort of scale issues involved in this. Um, you know, if you're in one open room, I, I would be having all your plants ready to flower, flowering them in there, um, and then they'd all be done at the same time. And you'd ideally have a new sort of crop of plants to move into that flowering room. Um, but you're really, you're really pushing out more production than I am at that point. For sure. I wanted to, uh, give a chance to pass it over to Spartan Grow, and It looks like he's puffing tough over there, keeping a lot of smoke in the air. I know you're a fan of that, um, perpetual grow style at your home grow. I don't know if you use tents or if you're actually in a grow room. I know you said you have a dedicated dry space, kind of like a grow, grow room, but, um, what's your setup at home like? <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, yeah, so. I started out my, I originally started out in a grow tent, a four by eight. Uh, I quickly, uh, I used that to veg while I built out the flower room. And then it was my bedroom for the longest time until I um, decided that I wanted a slightly smaller or bigger veg. So I just took the tent down and built out a room by bumping the wall out a little bit. And then uh, I didn't use the tent for the longest time. 
then uh, I ended up getting a brand new, or I won that, when I won that Raging Kush light, instead of taking a light down, I, I, I did take a light down and put the Raging Kush up, but the light that I took down, I put back in my tent that I set up outside my space in another space so that I could have a mom tent. And I grow autos in there too, just for the hell of it. Nice. So it sounds like you're in a little bit of a hybrid situation where you're using both tents, but you also have dedicated grow room type areas. And I love, you were the first person that I heard doing that with the autos in the mother or veg tent. And I just think that's such a great idea. Somebody actually DM'd me today. They're a newer grower. I'm not trying to poke fun at them. So I'm not going to give their name or anything, but they said, Hey, my auto started flowering and it's still in veg. Like, should I move it over to my flower tent? like what's wrong did I do something wrong and I was like no man that's just how they work like autos when they're ready to flower they flower and it actually looked good and like you could just keep it in there you'll probably get a better yield in your veg tent if you supply it enough light and keep it at that 18 or 20 hours um, it'll do much better than if you move it over to the 1212 but yeah that's definitely a great idea and um, it doesn't take a ton of tents it just takes one so if you have a grow space that like doc was saying you're doing like a monocrop or something and banging out a bunch of flour well, you've got your mother tent or veg space with mothers that you can also get a little flower out of if you have some extra space for a few autos here and there. So great tip, Spartan Ground. I want to pass it to um, Brandon Rust. I know you were cultivating at home with a tent for a little bit, but you've also done the, um, I was at your facility here, I'll call it a facility, <laughs> the uh, former cultivation area you used to have here in San Diego, which is much more, I would call grow rooms. Um, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the matter. Well, <clears throat> I actually have never grown in a tent until just recently, um, and growing in a tent seems a little bit more challenging because you have to be really creative if you want to be able to utilize that space and then also cool that space, exchange air in that space, and keep everything like regular across the, the line, right? So there's no fluctuations. It's a little harder to do that in a tent because, you know, it's a piece of fabric and your envir outside environment is going to affect that no matter what you do. In my opinion, I mean, this is what I'm experiencing anyway. Um, I can keep it cool, but if I keep it cool, it's really hard to keep uh, humid. Um, you know, even with the humidifier that I have and adding CO2, and then, you know, it's really hard to rapidly... Uh, dehumidify that air when the light turns off so it's you know it could take uh just like a on a large scale if you want that thing to work properly you have to get the right tools to make it work the exact way you know put things on a dimmer get a control box blah 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 blah, blah. you know same thing it's just on a much smaller scale so i just you know to be honest i kind of neglect my home grow tent because I don't have a whole lot of extra time. I'm not spending every day in there and messing around. You know, it's kind of just like, I don't even know why I have it. I think it's because I just keep running <laughs> breeding projects. Breeding. Yeah. That's what I think you had said earlier to us. It's, it's not like you're um, trying to get a bunch of dank flower out of there. It's more to keep breeding projects alive or experiment with some new stuff. Yeah. I, Can I jump in and offer just a, yeah. a bit of a counterpoint? I think that, I mean, I'm surprised that Brandon, to hear Brandon say that he thinks it's harder to manage climate in a tent than in a room. Because um, I really think that that's one of the big advantages of growing in a tent is it's a smaller space and it makes managing the climate easier. Now, it sounds like Brandon may be doing it with a, like a sealed tent. Um, and I agree, you would have to really manage your, your situation quite carefully in that case. But 
most of us run exhaust that can completely remove the air that's in the tent like every minute. Um, so we manage uh, relative humidity with the, the exhaust um, and just exhausting it out. Um, and it, it sounds like, Brandon, you're trying to dehumidify that air instead of exhausting it. Is that right? No, I have an exhaust on it. <clears throat> I have a continuous exhaust. I also have it plumbed to a smaller air conditioning unit uh, uh, to, to a smaller tent and inside that tent. Here, you want me to show you? Yeah, while you walk over there, I wanted to say Sour Diesel Tangy in the chat said he believed or thought that it was easier for him when he moved to grow rooms to regulate the grow room than it was for him to regulate the tent. I think that could depend on the lighting that you're running. Like CMH yeah. or LECs are running a lot hotter than like an LED. LEDs and tents, I find, are a lot easier to regulate, at least in my personal experience, or HPS even, or metal halide. Some of those hotter HID bulbs are a lot more difficult to run in a tent. Or LEDs, I think you can have. A it depends on if you have an air-cooled hood with those as well. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend running a, a non-air-cooled hood in a, with a HPS in a tent. Yeah, but some people do run those CMHs. Yep. They're good uh, entry-level bulb cost-wise, and it produces incredible flower. Um, the the UV and I think just the spectrum is solid. Uh, it's that full white light, so it's easy to diagnose any plant issues. Brandon, can you uh, talk us through on an opinion now? Okay, so. I have an, I have this small grow tent right next to this. I think this is a five by five, the one right here. Yeah. And then this is like a, I don't know, a two by two by 36. Yeah. And what I did is I, I put this AC inside, right? And I have this exhaust right here, which is plumbed up here and it's hooked up to an exhaust fan up at my front. So it's always exhausting. So the air can get recirculated back yeah. into this chamber where it's going to run through the AC unit. And then where the AC unit usually pumps out, I like rigged up this little like frame and bag system. And then that goes down to this, uh, to this intake and this intake goes right here so my cool cool air comes in down here hot air all goes back down uh, out there back yeah. through like closed loop you've made a lung room essentially and um the reason for people that are watching this is uh in oklahoma in a garage garages in oklahoma tend to be a lot hotter and um so that's why he's probably forced to have to run an ac unit or somewhere like where i'm in southern california it almost never gets hot enough i, I haven't run ac for the past two years and um, you can get away with just ex exhausting the hot air in, in certain climates. Yeah, it really depends on what, what your outside temperature is in that situation. Um, the, the thing with, with Brandon, though, the other thing that I just wanted to, to put out there is it's not going to matter how sort of thick the tent is, um, or even if you insulated the tent with a good R value, um, you're pumping air through that tent faster than the, the air is going to be affected by the sort of conduction of heat through the fabric material. So the, the fact that it's sort of a thin material really makes no difference. It's the air that's traveling through the tent that's going to affect the uh, temperature within that tent. Yeah, I tend to believe that regulating a, a, a tent really depends on where you're at and if you have the proper equipment. Like I know when I first started growing in my tent, I didn't have enough fans, just straight up. I had an exhaust fan, didn't have an intake. I had a few circulation fans. I thought the passive air intake from the little vents at the bottom would be enough. It wasn't. 
uh, for my situation. Once I got an intake fan, that dramatically made the plants a lot happier, uh, fresh air coming in and the air being exhausted out. Also having air moving above and below the canopy. So having like a oscillating tower fan on the bottom that's constantly moving air, but also having a few clip fans up above the canopy blowing on the plants between the light and the plants um, is how I personally go about doing it in a tent without having to run any AC. And it tends to be very successful um, in my experience so far. But yeah, that's the big advantage of tents is you can just move that air through them really fast and sort of keep it within the conditions that, that you need to. Uh, and that was my point in sort of chiming in. I think that it's easier to manage the climate if the space is smaller, just sort of full stop. In a room with a larger cubic footage or you know, volume of air, um, it's going to be harder to control that climate than it is in a smaller space. It requires sort of less air conditioning. It requires less, you know, dehumidification if you have to go that route, if you're in just a, a smaller space. And that's one of the advantages of running in a tent as opposed to a full room. I, I agree with Brandon, and I think it's far harder to keep a stable environment in a tent than a room. Um, and the reason is, is um, where your tent is. You know, you guys, I'm guessing your tent is in a living space. If you put in a living space, then yeah, because your lung room is your living space, which is ideal temperature and humidity. But if you're in a space that isn't ideal temperature and humidity and you're using fans to pull through air, you're bringing unideal temperature and humidity into your tent. So if you're That's in the same as it would be with, yeah. a, with a room, though, Spartan. You're going to have to condition that air one way or the other. Absolutely. Not, not well. In, in a room, in, in my rooms, not my tent, in my rooms, they're insulated far better than a fucking tent. It's just a real thin wall. And uh, I can keep that uh, environment sealed or close to sealed anyway. And yeah. keep it a way, way uh, easier to keep that at a constant temperature then than it than would be in a tent. Well, the difference there is that you're sealing the space. You're not exhausting it then. It's not really the difference between being in a tent and being in a room. It's the difference between having a ventilated space and having a sealed space. I'd say that in my experience where right. I first started growing, I was not the actual head grower. And I was growing in a room where they had a lot better equipment than I had when I started in my tent. And so like growing in a tent, um, oftentimes it might feel harder to regulate because you're throwing less money and equipment at it than you would in a giant space, like where you're insulating walls or running better air conditioning dehumidifiers. Um, like when I first started in my tent, the first grow, somebody's like, is this a test run or something? Like I would chop that down. It looks terrible. <laughs> like granted, it was the biggest harvest I ever got. It was some blue dream and it yielded really well. It looked pretty terrible, but it smelled amazing and tastes amazing. But um, that being said, going from a cultivation room, I had so many challenges. I thought it'd be easier um, just growing like one or two plants in a small space, but there was a ton of unforeseen challenges having never done like a micro grow before going uh, from, you know, outdoors and greenhouses and a giant, you know, rooms with 30 lights to a single light in a closet is um, just a whole different set of challenges. You know, it's a, a different process. And I found it to be a lot more difficult than I expected it to be. I thought I was going to have a lot more success straight off the bat, but um, I had to work some kinks out. And thankfully, a lot of the experience does um, sort of carry over. I wanted to give a second to shout out Aaron the Grower. He just got here a minute or two ago. So Aaron the Grower, go ahead and give uh, your introductions. Uh, yeah, don't let me pull away from conversation too long. I'm ATG Agers on Instagram. Um, excited to hear what you guys have to talk about today. And what, well, what as, I can be involved in. <laughs> as you uh, say that, we have another panelist joining us. It's going to be Kyle Breeder here in a second. Um, but I wanted to go ahead and tell you what we were talking about. As you can probably see in the title a little bit, it says 
grow tents versus grow rooms. And then it says outdoors versus greenhouse, where I think you're actually going to have a lot of uh, input there later on into the show. We haven't gotten to that point just yet. Um, I know Kyle will probably have a lot of input on the grow tent versus grow room topic. But um, yeah, that's, that's sort of what we've been talking about so far, just to catch you up a little bit. So I wanted to, uh, did we lose him or did he get in? I think we lost him. Yeah, Kyle didn't get all the way in. So with that said, uh, we're kind of just, I think everybody kind of went around and talked about the advantages and disadvantages. So now I want to give a opportunity for our IPM specialist to give some considerations for growing in a grow room versus growing in a tent. And if there's any advantages or disadvantages. Definitely. Um, all context matters. And so just kind of like as Dr. M.G. Coco was saying, you know, sort of like baseline fundamentally, um, you know, a larger space has larger area, right? So you have a lot, you can at least, you know, potentially and ostensibly you are trying to have as much um, leaf surface area as possible or at the very least as much like canopy space that you're um, efficiently using. And depending on how you're doing that, that can manifest in various different ways. But um, in my opinion, uh, you know, one of the advantages of like a tent, for example, is that it's, is it is smaller from an IPM perspective, you know, the amount of things that can go wrong, like holes and other sorts of things is like kind of lower in that way. But obviously a larger growth space has usually like more solid walls and, um, like Brandon was saying, uh, in, a, in a smaller area, it can be kind of a little bit difficult to either maneuver or, and, and that's also been my experience too, um, that like, you know, just having a little bit less space um, can just be a little, it can make like other aspects of the cultivation process a little bit more harrowing, which will make the IPM aspect of that process also a little bit more harrowing to sort of um, uh, it, <clears throat> like a foliar, for example, getting into a tent and trying to spray, you either have to take the plants all the way out, spray them properly, or just have like way too good of a sprayer. Um, most people, I, I don't think, have a proper sprayer to like cover every single inch of their tent unless they're taking their plants out and spinning them around. Um, there was one that I just saw recently. I can't think of the name, though. It's maybe called like the Easy Fogger or something. It's a little handheld one that works like those bigger backpack fogger styles where it actually aerosolizes it. So it gets a much better... Uh, covering of the plants and it's actually meant for like pesticides and uh, insecticides and things like that so I just wanted to point that out that a lot of people um, that are applying these things like you were just talking about have difficulties applying them in tents Um, so is there any other considerations before I give Kyle he did finally get in a chance to give his introduction yeah um, I mean I just kind of described something that was super basic that like bigger area bigger problems kind of but like um uh, essentially, like the most important thing, I, I feel like the the greatest point is that whether it's uh, a grow room or a grow tent or your you know some sort of transitionary period between the two, um, your biggest advantage will be your physical control of the area. And so, even if you're in a larger space or a smaller space, uh, be fastidious about um, tears or rips in the tent or cracks and crevices in the uh, grow room, no matter what whether you have windows with screen or something like this, like the screen that a lot of people have on their windows in case you have something like that or you haven't boarded them up or whatever, you know, uh, or like holes that are like purposefully placed into tents, you know, just make sure that you have that squared away and that it's tight and that you have it because um, it can be a, a, a ingress point, right, for various pests. 
And a lot of the more important pests are very small and they might come in on you more likely than they'll come in from the outside, but I've seen it happen. And, um, you know, fun fact, I'm seeing a lot of people, uh, a lot more people rather, not a lot, but more people get termites in their uh, cannabis grows, which is um, not endearing. And anyways, I can go more into that later, but let's welcome uh, Kyle. Go ahead, Kyle. Everybody, sorry I'm a little late. Uh, yeah, I'm Kyle Breeder. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm a cannabis breeder, specializes in feminized seeds. If anybody's looking for some seed stock, uh, I have a website that's the letter P, breeding.com. And uh, yeah, you can look at any of my social media. I'm on all platforms at Predicated Breeding, and I'm happy to be here. So Kyle, since you got here, uh, before I pass it back to Matthew, because I think that he's probably got some more considerations with IPM that I think could be very beneficial for the listeners here tonight. I wanted to ask you your thoughts. Um, I told Aaron this a second ago, and I'm sorry for the people who've been here the whole time for me to repeat myself, but we are talking a little bit like the title says about grow tents versus growing in a grow room and maybe like the advantages and disadvantages of both and maybe what might make somebody transition from one to the other. Now, if I remember correctly, I believe that you are a tent um, person, at least um, some of the photos I've seen you and, and stories I've heard. Person with tent is what's more politically correct. Person with tent. Person with tent. So uh, I just wanted to hear. Oh, that's you good, thoughts, Matt. I like that. Thoughts about that, uh, Kyle? And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I if I had the option to have rooms, uh, I mean, obviously that would allow me to have more space. I would definitely go that route. But uh, for me, I mean, I'm able to isolate multiple, like you know. So most people, I wouldn't say most people, but a lot of people, um, basically they'll just take like one donor plant and then just like pollinate their whole crop and basically having one donor plant but for me i try and have more of a versatile library so in order to do that i need to have separate crosses isolated in different tents so for me uh, i prefer tents and then i could just basically have you know multiple different strains and lines uh isolated in those tents um and it's controllable for the most part i mean i kind of run ac in in the main room that holds all the tents and i kind of you know play with that uh, to make the temps and the tents work out. Um, so for me, that's just kind of what works for me. I think that's awesome. And um, as somebody who actually is only going to be breeding with like one male, I don't reverse stuff. So it's male to female breeding. Like I'll have one male hit three or four or five females and then test all four or five of those crosses. But like you said, it doesn't lead to as much diversity as you could get in uh, multiple tents. I can't remember which facility it was, but I did see one facility here in California that basically had a bunch of like roll up garage style doors and they're middle of the facility was a big open area it almost looked like like a prison facility almost but they'd roll up the garage door and that'd be like a grow room and they had separate air conditioning and everything for that specific room not a lot of places have a bunch of different flower rooms but they ran monocrops of every single flower uh, differently in each room and they actually would drastically alter the conditions depending on whether it was like indica or sativa trying to bring out different flavor profiles and things like that and I thought that was uh, interesting for people to have that sort of control because most larger commercial facilities I do see, or at least uh, a lot of the older fashion ones, would just be sort of that one massive flower room, um, mostly monocropping, but sometimes you'd see them running more than one thing in like one table of this, one table of that, et cetera. So it's interesting to see all the different uh, options that are available because as people are getting into either larger legal operations, whether um, medical or recreational, um, scaling up from the home grow is something um, people do both at home and into a legal market. So there's a lot of considerations to be made. And I wanted to now give it back over to uh, Matthew, and then maybe we'll tag Aaron the grower in for a little bit. But um, 
is there any other thoughts maybe on uh, IPM? I know it's it's a very vague um, topic. So I guess as far as um, sealing the space, like a, a larger space, are there tips that you could give to a home grower for sealing a tent versus sealing a um, crew room? Definitely. So, and I'll try to be brief here. Like, for example, Canon Nation said in the chat um, that they felt like it's easier to maximize efficiency in a tent versus a room. Um, and sort of like jumping off that and also what you were saying about people, somebody utilizing a sort of a garage space kind of like by itself, you roll up the door and there's the grow space. Um, I would say that it's critical that people do make the effort to seal up any crevices with like some sort of a like whatever um, substance that's available to you. Um, if it's a physical space or, you know, physical walls that are solid, you know, um, it'll really depend on what material you have available, but there's plenty of like caulking or um, drywall uh, uh, patching or some sort of thing like that. You might have to do a little bit of home improvement um, to make that work. I would say that in my experience, like a lot of people's garages just aren't really, <laughs> people don't think about it. People don't uh, like typically in my experience uh sort of make their doors efficient that sort of thing as for tent space though i do have to agree that i feel like in a way you are like kind of it's like an intensified smaller space so if you have the resources it can be a lot more efficient in that way but if you do get tears or rips or that sort of a thing you know it's really important that you actually patch those things up um there are residential pests that you can get that would still be kind of a an issue or a problem that you might like want to avoid um, and obviously you know whether it's a tent or a, a room in your house or something like this you want to be very um, cautious about sort of just insect life in general in and around the area um, you know you could get drain flies for example coming out of your sink or coming out of like some like drain that's busted in your backyard or front yard or, you know, if you're in a condo or an apartment complex or something like this, somebody else's uh, problematic uh, plumbing or something like this can also be a problem. So really just avail yourself of your situation and make sure that all of your defenses are in place, basically. I had a question about as far as um, one thing I personally like about tents is that um, the materials they're made of aren't going to hold molds and mildews. Like it's usually metal, metal or plastic poles, and the um, walls are made out of a mylar type material, and these materials don't tend to hold mold. Where I see a lot of people build grow rooms and they go to Home Depot, they think, "Oh, I'm going to build myself a table," and they use wood. Wood tends to get mold over years uh, if it gets wet and damp and in a grow room environment. It, it can off gas. It can also be like a sponge, and it can off gas things, especially if you're using uh, pesticides, and even not necessarily like you know, really noxious chemical compounds, although most of the time they break down. Um, that's just something that came to my mind. It's one reason why greenhouses aren't made with wood as much anymore, or if they do, they use some sort of an, like a sealant or something to keep that from happening. Well, well, and pressure-treated lumber, which is exactly treated with pesticides. And then there's also like drywall is something that people don't consider oftentimes. Drywall is a huge harbor for mold in a lot of larger facilities. So people are using like aluminum framing and there's some sort of, uh, and it's like particle reinforced, some sort of plastic PRC or something like that. Spartan, I think you've mentioned maybe using something like that. Yeah, I don't know, know the name of it, but uh, yeah, it's like a, 
I don't know. It, it feels like PVC almost, but they're like panels. Uh, the American one's the one who brought up the name of it, I think. I can't remember the name of those panels. When I was in, um, on the uh, paint crew in prison, we installed a bunch of that stuff in the kitchens in there because they're super easy to just... Hey, Brandon, you're coming in a little bit weakly. I can't hear you hardly. Oh, you can, can you hear me now? A yeah, little bit better. better. Uh, I don't know why. The mic might be somewhat um, uh, depressed. Let's see. Can you guys hear me now? Is that better? It is a little bit better, yeah. Okay. Well, I was saying that uh, we, we were installing that stuff in kitchens. Um, it's, uh, I can't remember the name of it either, but I know what you're talking about. It's really easy to wipe that stuff down. It's FRP, fiberglass reinforced plastic, or yeah. something like that. Eagle and Oki said it in chat. I was just going to shout him out. <laughs> FRP. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Eagle because uh, he's one of those people that I think has done a grow room before. And if you look at uh, fucking talking shit with Eagle in the background, it's like tent city. He's got like tents going all around his garage and there's like multiple rows. Like it's not even just every, it's crazy the amounts of tents he's got, but it works for him. And he always says that he has a love hate relationship with them um, for one reason or another. You know, I think he runs them open a lot of the time. So he has like a third wall where they're, instead of getting that reflection, he's getting better airflow. So there's definitely um, even people with, I think he has like a 72 plant count in Michigan, stacking the five cards as a caregiver and you can get another 12 rec in a separate location. So 84 plants still use intense. So when people say that you can't scale intense, I think that's bigger scale than a lot of people will go. Uh, so it's definitely possible. I've seen people in Oklahoma using like eight by 16 tents. If I will, uh, actually, let me make this point, like kind of to interject. That is one advantage is that if you have multiple tents, you know, you can kind of create like a little micro like HLGs in there for commercial facilities for hemp. Uh, I see what happened. Hello? Yeah, I, I I thought that you had paused, um, but in fact the vid, the audio was um, coming. Sounds in like quickly. when you kink a hose and then you like let it go and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's really neat how it happens that way. Actually, um, I was just saying that like one of the if you have multiple tents, you can kind of use them as like little micro spaces, like little, little microcosms, and um, I guess in that way you can kind of control. In, you can like divide and conquer in that way if that makes sense um like yeah kind of from an ipm perspective at least if something were to get into one it won't necessarily easily travel to the other maybe depending on what that thing is but i, I do feel like that's a little contentious because even though i'm saying that you know it really just depends on what it is and you might have brought it in yourself so when you go to check the first one you might have checked the second one and transmitted to both but yeah you're going to be the ultimate vector as the gardener i think we're worried about all these other things but it's you checking on your plants probably that's going to do the most damage definitely agree with, with those insects i want to offer a, a sort of the counterpoint to this i know i've been on the pro tent side of the the debate here i think that the the disadvantage to tents or one of the big advantages of running in a larger space is the efficient returns to electricity use, especially in lights. Um, this was a big thing that I looked at in my, my big grow light physics video um, is just, you know, if you have 
I was playing with the SP3000s and put one of those in a four by two space and got uh, what 2.12 micromoles per watt. When I put two of them in the four by four space, the, the efficiency goes up. Um, you essentially, if you think about two four by two tents sort of back to back with each other, um, if you take down that wall in the middle, then the two lights sort of if you had one light in each tent then they'd just be sort of sharing light across with the other plants as opposed to bouncing it off of that wall um those walls really help to increase the efficiency in a small space but knocking them down and creating a larger space increases the efficiency of, of the, the light use um and if you get up to like the the sort of commercial scale array you're going to get significantly like 20% more efficiency out of your lights than you are if you're in a small tent, um, just because you're not reflecting those photons off the walls and, and losing a portion of them in the process. Um, so there's that, that's where I would look at the, the advantage of scale um, and sort of the, the economics of the other economics of scale, which, which certainly exist in terms of sort of, making a larger space. Um, you have more prime real estate in a large room. Um, you have sort of fewer, less of the, the space up against the walls or in the corners than you do, you know, relatively speaking, um, than you would in a smaller space. So there, there's some advantages there, but I definitely think that the, the other side of it, in terms of management, it, it's easier in a smaller space, but in terms of efficiency, it's more efficient in a larger space. Spartan growing. That's a good point. Over at uh, Mitten Canico, I know you guys do a pretty damn good job, in my opinion. I, I don't want to like make you blow smoke up your own ass, but you guys are killing it over there, in my opinion. And you're pulling down some pretty good numbers. And I think you're also doing a pretty good job at home, from what I'm seeing and from what I hear in the Michigan community. People seem to love your product. So I just was curious about your thoughts on what Doc was just talking about with efficiency. Um, I know you guys hit over maybe three pounds per light in certain rooms at Mitten Canico. And if we just consider that a thousand watts of light and flower, are you similar to that at home? I know it's a completely different cultivation style and there's a whole bunch of different stuff, but if you compare it a thousand watts of light at work versus a thousand watts of light at home, um, how do you think that the efficiency returns um, would stack up for you? And granted, I, I wanna preface that with, he's using soil at home and they're using cocoa at work. There's a whole bunch of different, it's uh, probably LEDs versus uh, double-ended HPSs. There's a lot of, it's not a perfect comparison, but just for the reference, and then we could go to uh, Brandon next because I know you're also doing a large commercial facility. Okay, so why I do a, a little calculation here to be able to answer your question, I do want to say that, you know, like when Doc is talking about smaller spaces and bigger spaces, I think size of room is irrelevant in the discussion of tent versus room, because you can build a room the size of a tent, and you can have a, a tent the size of a room. So I don't think size is so much a, a factor. That's, that's something that we can consider a constant you know what i mean it's not variable because they can be matched oh that's one of the biggest differences between the two of them from the way i'm respecting it or, or approaching it spartan so absolutely we should talk about that because i'm thinking of like you know you have a 120 square foot room or something are you going to put four 16 square foot tents in there are you going to put you know four or five by five tents in there are you going to just fill it all with you know what you know make turn the whole thing into one room that, that's sort of the scenario that I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm certainly not thinking of a grow room being like a four foot by four foot framed in like, I don't know, closet or something that that would be a different 
kind of thing to me. So scale was one of the biggest, bigger sort of differences between the two. Yeah, that's that's why I was, I don't, I want to say confused, but I think we were arguing different angles because you know I was considering size being consist like a constant and not a factor because. Right. Well, I think we I think we need to put that into the con the consideration. Most tents are like four by two feet or four by four, or like big tents are five by five. Some people have giant eight by tents sixteen that are like eight by four, but it's nobody has like 16. a sixteen by sixteen foot tent. I and think Spartan was approaching it from like a rooms. experimental controlled perspective like in other words like the, the root size of the room would be a control and the other variables would be what you were measuring let's but say I 100 think, square but feet I think, easy but i think ultimately when you're building out uh, a space or like when you're considering how to put your rooms together um dr mj is correct that you have to consider this holistic approach like you know the size of the tent and that, the fact that you're losing two square feet every time you use a tent or whatever that might be, that's to be considered. But I think from a scientific And if you're building a room, you might build a wall. Not to sound like our president too much, but you really might build a wall and split it into two instead of like having a bunch of tents to make two spaces, build a wall down one side and that's your veg area now. You put well, yeah, really. There. I mean, when you build it, when you're building your space out, you're far more efficient with your space because, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's a no brainer. But back to your other question before I forget the numbers. Um, I just did the math because I've never figured that out. I don't know. I've never been asked that question. So our highest yield right now was at work. We averaged 3.3 pounds per light. Uh, that's over a five by five space. I'm flowering over a four by four at home, but I'm going to consider that the same, even though that's a significant increase in, in space. Um, so that's 3.3 per light. That was the, the most we hit on a GMO harvest. We can get three light, but the highest we got was 3.3. My highest in the recent, I, I flipped back about a year, was 880 grams in a four by four. But that was with half as much. I mean, I'm rounding up. I'm 480 watts is what I'm running. I'll round up to 500 and consider half as much electrical full. So I doubled that 880 number because to get to 100 or to get to 1,000 watts, and that comes what up. kind of lights were those though you're just talking in terms of wattage so before you just can double that we have to make sure that you're dealing with similar photon efficiencies to the hps that you're using at work but just to make it for power draw efficiency just for i know that's the doc you don't like this measurement but just for the people well that just a lot it, of people. what you're measuring there is the difference between the two lighting technologies more than you're measuring anything else if that's the case well there's also a lot of other factors um they supplement way more co2 than i do yeah um, over double as much they um, have, uh, you know, side lighting, <laughs> you know, they've got, you know, the efficiencies in there are way higher, but still the number that they were 3.3 pounds. Mine was uh, 17. So they would put my gram number at 17. Hold on, my phone just went off. 3.3 uh, pounds per light is 1,496 or just under 1,500 grams per 1,000 watt. Yeah, and so that was at 1,760. And that's where Doc was talking about LEDs are a little bit more efficient per... Right. lot of power where that would make the difference so um, yeah. i do agree with you doc that that does uh, overcome the efficiencies of being in a larger room uh, the lighting technology is a huge um, well there oh yeah, for uh, sure oh you yeah. can crush it now with really high efficiency leds i mean i'm measuring stuff with getting over 2.3 micromoles per watt and the the hps that spartan's running at, at mitten canico are probably getting 1.6 in my test so you the, can definitely double get much better efficiencies with, with some modern LEDs. You've been testing the double-ended um, 
Kavitas? Kavitas? Um, no, I have not tested HPS lights at all yet. Oh, okay. Can I chime in for a second? They're 212 at the bulb, and they're one point like seven eight um, at the canopy. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll see if I have the chance to test them. I, I don't think that there's an HPS bulb that's going to get 1.78 to the canopy in my test. Um, but I'd be happy with it if it did. Um, okay, so what, what I always measure is actual canopy space, not like the size of the room um, for measuring like when I'm trying to do like calculations on yield. I run two rooms that each I have three rooms but two of them are, de are identical with 40 480 watt boards so I think each room is equivalent to 19,000 and I think like 400 watts I don't know if that's a good conversion or whatever but we're also on phase three power which is I think runs like 277 so we're running like one point seven amps or something 40 hlg 550 v2r specs which run for 180 watts would be 19,200 watts just if you're considering it a 480 watt pool yeah so and i and i'll typically do like 60 pounds out of one of those rooms and and those boards get like two micromoles per watt so they're right in between they're better than the hps but not as good as some of the the led bars but so that would be almost 40,000, what, 38,000 micromoles? I don't know, like the light conversions and all that kind of You're stuff. You're getting 27,000 grams over like 19,000 watts. So that'd, that'd be 60, 000, 60 pounds is 20. Well, I had them at 38,000 micromoles. If you're 18 or if you're 19,000 watts was correct, then that's about 38,000 micromoles. And then what's the, the harvest? How many grams? It'd be, he said 60 pounds and that times 454, which is like roughly a pound, uh, 27,240 uh, grams. So 27,000. Yeah, that's just about what what our benchmark harvest estimate is. Um, what is twenty seven thousand of thirty eight thousand of nineteen? Like are you, the percentage? Yeah, so he's pulling point seven one grams per micromole. Um, our benchmark harvest calculation is point seven five. So just like right on basically what we consider um, to be the benchmark for those lights. Very good job. Excellent, sorry, Greg, to get that across that many fixtures. Honestly, that's pretty impressive. And There's fully staff. organic, 100% vegan soil and, and just indoor. I mean, I really think Brandon's doing a great thing over there. You've selected great phenotypes. You're putting a lot of love and passion into the plants and it shows. And uh, I think the people of Oklahoma are very lucky to have someone like you who, uh, mastered their craft and is bringing it to a different state because california definitely lost a good one dude i'm going fucking huge out here dude we have 250 yards of build a soil light blend all our grading is done our power our power upgrades being done tomorrow all our chats at our farm it's all just coming together so fast it's gonna be so crazy our fucking beds are, are there already are, are from a was it grassroots fabric pots Oh, yeah, man, that's awesome. I was just out at the uh, greenhouse uh, facility that I'm going to be cultivating at next year, and we've got our 10 by 12, like, 
testing ground greenhouse setup and they're upgrading to phase three power and we're going to get a lot more amps than we have currently uh covid's delaying a lot of shit with construction and all that but uh, you know speaking of that in california not to interrupt but i am i guess um should we talk about generators I think that's an interesting topic of conversation, especially now with the fires and rolling brown and blackouts going on. I happen to be a generator uh, junior expert. Aficionado of tell generators. Us, tell us about that. I think uh, I've been we, living off the get, grid. Before oh, we go get going on generators, because I don't have a lot of ex, I don't have a lot of expertise here, but um, I want to make one point. I think generators are more a tool to fix the situation but it's not like i'm going to run my thing on a generator for oh, that's all, what I mean. all day every day yeah. kind of a thing that's it's right and you haven't grown in cleveland in the black market <laughs> <laughs> so you can run a grow but what i'm saying no i'm not saying it's not possible i'm just saying that's not what a generator is really designed for and i that's think that if that's context. something yeah so i think if that's something that you're you're going to be off grid i think it would be better to invest those dollars into like battery banks and, and some kind of alternate energy, even if you got to charge those batteries with your fucking generator. But you know what I mean? Supplement charge it, the battery bank with a generator, but also have like, dude, you'd be water surprised. Source, put a you fucking. I get what you're saying. Like, diversify your inputs in terms of how you collect your energy. But at bottom line, generators generate the most energy, bar none. Solar power is going to work part of the year. <laughs> it's a luxury. <clears throat> We're planning on putting it on the property. Here, you know but... that they make solar panels right now. They have technology to make solar panels that work during nighttime. That they just they just awesome. engineered them in reverse. Yeah. You... Well, they store energy from this sun at, during the day and then release that stored energy well, from a battery pack. Okay, night. okay. We're talking about details because yeah, okay. You oh. can use a solar panels energy anytime you want if you have a battery bank. No, that's but... not what I'm saying. I'm saying they generate saying they power can... at night. How do they collect solar energy? Do they night? collect the solar energy coming off of the, the moon? moon? No. I don't remember. I, I just read this article. Next time I'll have to save the article, then I can share it with you guys. But um, they've also put solar technology in glass, so you could replace windows. Okay. With it. They've got this solar technology in roads. No, this I'm just is all saying. Luxury shit, dude. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's options out there that uh, a lot of people just are told not to look at or don't look at. And I mean, I just saw. On a the thing is a big consideration target. with this, though. That's what I thought when they first came up, Brandon, or Spartan. What's a big concern? I didn't hear what you said the first part. Well, well I appreciate your, your sort of point about the generators in the first place. I'm not a big sort of fan about the idea of using a generator, but I don't think that solar is a, is a ready replacement for it at this point. It requires having a battery bank that has significant sort of environmental issues on its own. You're right, Dr. MJ. And that's that's sort of the thing is, you know, building a battery bank. <clears throat> first of all, you can, I want to comment on the first thing that you said that about generators not being a practical thing. I've been living off a generator for a significant amount of time. And uh, our generator could power, a, you know, a really, a, lo a lot of stuff. It's a really big generator and it's a, it runs off diesel. So if you right, think of like a semi running down the road that's a chugga 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 i mean that that is what's powering at 1800 rpms you know 17 hours a day that's what's powering our entire property we got three trailers you know there's like two grow lights there's washing machines there's like every you know there's like seven acs or eight acs on the property all this stuff can be run at once and it's about investing in a really proper generator you're not going to buy this at harbor freight or home depot 
you know, I know this I'm is not... something from uh, this company called Northern Lights. They put out this generator that's made for like submarines or like <clears throat> it's made to put on board on a ship. And so it doesn't even have a house. Like it looks like a big ass motor. So when we installed it on the property, we had to like put a concrete pad down. We put like seven yards of concrete down. We drilled this thing into the ground and put like, you know, shock absorbers between that and the ground and uh, set up two 275 gallon fuel tanks. So this thing can run five, you know, we got 550 gallons of fuel available at all times and they come and deliver that to our property that red diesel which is a dollar yeah. 50 a gallon by the way yeah uh, it certainly is sustainable in the sense that you can keep it going and you can power your 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 property especially in an off-grid sense but generating electricity by burning diesel is environmentally borderline irresponsible uh, it's oh, certainly it is, break, is very inefficient you, compared you to almost, a car you drive a car it, it, compared to almost any other form of generating electricity, um, these small scale diesel generators are about the filthiest. Um, yeah, well, you're so certainly not going to generate those, enough power with your concerned. solar windows or solar panels or anything else that you're going to put in water paddles. I don't give a shit, dude. None of that is going to do what my generator like. All that stuff I, is not arguing you can that point. Tack I'm it just on, arguing but... the point of sort of for the environmental sustainability argument on this. Um, encouraging people to burn diesel for electricity, I, I, I'm not willing to do that. That feels well, irresponsible from, well, from my so you like values. you like how they produce it at the nuclear power plants. Then you like putting <laughs> our totally entire different issue. You man. like putting our the, the, entire the efficiency at risk of the fossil fuels. Meltdown. Let's stick to, to fossil fuels of like even a coal, even the dirtiest coal fired or uh, um, coal burning power plant is going to produce a lot less um, car, uh, climate um, pollution than a diesel generator will. I until mean, it's especially built, a diesel until, generator until that's a run without any emissions and then everybody's And then everybody's dead. Well, I think, okay. in, I think in Aaron's case, I think in Aaron's case, because there is no, he doesn't have the option for a coal-fired power to come to his house. That's right, I get that. It's not like he's foregoing that to, to, to use diesel instead. So I think Well, I do, case, but it's like so, 80 grand to get it put on the property. I mean, it's- Well, that's it's, what I mean. It's not a choice. When, when it's that expensive, yeah, it's yeah. just not a choice. We, I I, and, I'm, and you're not the only one. We have, and that's a big one. I think that for thinking about backup power in the case of like a brownout in Southern California, I mean, I have a hard time recommending people that go out and, and buy generators and then run them in those sorts of situations. I think that that's, that's a tough call. I'm also sensitive to the fact that, you know, it's not just us growing and doing these things on our own. We're reaching an audience well, through this show and through other platforms. And, uh, you know, there's a certain sense of responsibility in terms of us understanding sort of these trade-offs and what is responsible and what's not. Um, before. I encourage you to do a little bit of research about getting off the grid entirely, investing in like a more serious generator than what they sell at, you know, Harbor Freight that sounds like a jet engine on the front of your house. You know, this thing, this thing is like a warm glow. It, it, I understand what you're saying. We at work, we have one. It's on a trailer um, because I mean, it's, it's fairly big and it's, it's really big. And um, I mean, the cables on it are, are literally this fucking big around that we have to attach it to our box outside. And there's a whole process that we got to do that. But um, we can run our entire facility on that thing um, on diesel fuel just indefinitely. And then I mean, the it's all it's got all, a huge tank in the back of his truck so we can just keep it going forever. But and yeah, I mean, we have it there. to like be sustainable, you know, be ecologically like mind minded. But when the powers that be 
can control like the outcome of your income, you know, I think that it's time to take control. And that's what this is about that, you know, this is a slow process. The first step is diesel fuel. Second step is solar. Third step. Yeah. If we got a running water, we'd use that as well in terms of like water generation, but like the bottom line end of the day, when, when the shit hits the fan and the grid goes down, you're going to want a serious generator that can power your food supply. And that might mean turning your greenhouse into like growing peppers and tomatoes and shit. But you know, this is just one guy living on the mountain. Like I don't run a giant facility. I run a little grow and like I have, but I have a homestead and that's, that's what I, that's what I'm concerned with powering. I was really surprised that everyone interpreted my, you're coming through quiet now, Matthew. Yeah. Is this better? Uh, A little bit better. That's really weird. I didn't change anything. Um, it's really surprising to me that you all interpreted this this way. Maybe you all knew what I really meant, which was that, no, I don't mean running things off a generator uh, as a matter of course. I definitely re- mean it in the span of the fires and the rolling blackouts and brownouts and maybe selecting a good one. I do think that all of those premises, especially the one that you're saying, Dr. MJ, are super important. And there is a responsibility to talk about the... Uh, um pros and cons but i mentioned a few weeks back though the top 70 companies or no the top 100 companies produce 71 percent of the world's pollution so somebody like aaron could run that diesel generator all fucking day long oh god i hate that argument no just no we should we should try worse doesn't let you off the hook but he's he said it himself he's using that as a stepping stone to solar so that's just his thing right now. Okay. And then he might get wind and, and water. Even, and, and Jack, you make a good point. But even when I get solar, dude, do you think that I'm going to rely on any of that? I mean, that's going to power like the lights. Like that's going to give me like six. It depends how much you put in because you can do day. solar at scale and, and have it depending on the sunlight. Like in Southern California, we get a lot more than you. Yeah. But you're, taking up your, down here. you're taking up your footprint for other things. And like, you know, you're usable space. Separate you're parts on the mountainside. You can't just be throwing up solar panels all over Listen, the place. Listen, my point is just to be aware of the trade-offs that you're dealing with and to be aware of the decisions that you're making. It, it's not... Um, that they, these are the wrong decisions. I think that there are situations that, that call to have a diesel generator. I, I'm not trying to argue that point. And your situation may be one of them, Aaron. Um, that that's sort of wasn't the, the issue at all. It's to be aware of um, the, the impact that we're having when we make these kinds of decisions and sort of how, w- what is the downside to it, maybe losing a grow and sort of what is that, what are what are those costs i think that makes a big difference for different growers too and at the and at the same time we have to consider both sides as growers we're doing a lot to uh, sequester carbon too that we're not really getting credit for i mean growing plants man you know we're we're taking co2 and we're pumping it in there and letting those plants sequester that man so uh we are doing. We are. We are reducing yeah. CO two at the but same. But then time. we're also. No, I don't think that we have a, a positive up. climate <laughs> argument really to make in terms of uh, indoor. We do it compared to other industries. The hell. The hell. Yeah, we do. We at I least mean, offset some of it. Is what's yeah. what I'm saying versus none.
we're using electricity to grow plants indoors, guys. I mean, I, I, Only because I, the I government need to emphasize to. how big of a decision that is in terms of our footprint. That's not our decision. That's yeah, like our government carbon system. sequestration and all the rest of that. It blows the margins off the off the. the yeah, but that's not Any fair. farmer that's, not fair. that's growing that's not almost fair. anything outdoors You're... is more environmentally uh, sort of. It's not a fair argument. It's not a fair argument because we're not growing outdoors because of the government. It's got nothing to do with uh, that. I get it. I get it. But that makes it really important to think about these questions is is my point i think california it, did they have a 2023 all lighting has to be led for the commercial market so peace california that's later dumb. with your bullshit regulations i'm sorry I yeah, did damn it okay. making the environment better getting plastic bags out of the ocean and no, straws because, off the beach no, dude no california's gonna have no good that. weed in 20 years just california. saying it right now what i'm saying is weed used to be illegal in california but they still grew it so go ahead, make the lights illegal. They're still going to use them. It's just, it's just ridiculous in my head. In my head, to, but to the take commercial away facilities freedom, with, with ten away people's acres. freedoms, though, to take away freedoms for a fucking light, give me a break. It, that's not for uh, home growers. That's for commercial facilities. So home growers are going to use what they want. No one's going to be regulating their lighting personally. But that's for the commercial facilities, the 2023 lighting. I just think that the technology itself kind of lends itself to move in that direction anyway. Make a superior light. Make a fucking light. Make an LED light that's better than an HPS, and people will start using it. I mean, people that's like it. Not, like I'm, I'm. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm the lobbying the guys at my work to switch over to LED can because I, it costs I, us uh, more money to run those I LEDs. Can I chime in real quick? Real quick. So I've used, you know, when I first started drawing in 2002, we were doing HPS and metal halide checkerboard rooms. And uh, there's dudes that have been doing shit for a really long time. And there's also people that are following recipes. And if, and if the recipe for a certain variety, uh, a cultivar that's been bred in, uh, you know, a, a certain type of system under a certain type of lighting with that certain recipe. And if everybody's following that recipe, then it should work. And, but the problem there lies in once that recipe starts getting tweaked. How are these things? How are these uh, things responding different? Um, and so you have to kind of look at that too. You know, that's one thing that that people probably aren't really. I hear that story anecdotally a little bit, but then whenever I see the actual scientific testing side by side, it's like HPS versus LED grow, and then they look at the cannabinoids and they look at the terpenes, and the LEDs always higher in the modern testing. And that's like with old school cultivars, OG Kush, that's with land race stuff like Mexican sativa. Chandra et al. did that study where they looked at like 500 par, 1000 par, 1500 par, 2000 par with all the different CO2 levels. And they found out like 1500 with 800 PPFD or PPMs of uh, CO2 was ideal, but that was for a Mexican sativa. And that was just like that one particular cultivar. So there's a lot of different experiments that are being done now to actually show that like it's easy for a lot of people to say, oh, yeah, just it does better under HBS if you grow it with salts. <laughs> but then you see people fucking killing it with OG Kush outdoors or with LEDs. And so it breaks a lot of those tropes that people like to say. Now you see it testing higher on paper. It's got more terpenes and more cannabinoids. So it's hard to argue that it's worse when it's got more of what we're growing for. Yeah, but um, the one thing that you will well generally see, it's a general thing, but uh, you'll generally see a reduction in yield though. Uh, when when you'll see an uh, increase in quality, but I I think I've seen a well I don't know it's hard to it's hard to get a clear answer because as I grow hopefully I'm getting better at growing too so how much of that is a factor to yields I don't know 
a decent amount, I would say, personally. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my yields are improving now, um, but I'm improving as a grower also. So is that light or is it me? I don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm an LED grower and, and, and I'm not saying that I don't support LED growth. I do believe it's the best technology out there. I just don't like governments making laws, preventing people from doing things that aren't create. Show me the victim. You know what I mean? Victimless crimes is just, it's just the thing that triggers me, man. Less government, more fun. <laughs> I think the regulations are a little bit too high sometimes. And um, I, I like what you're saying because like, I personally prefer LED for all the efficiency reasons. And for, I think they produce great quality, um, like as far as color, smell, all the other stuff, but I've grown under CMH and I've had shitty grows under CMH, but I've also had a lot of really good ones under CMH. And prior to that, I only grew under HPS and metal halide. And I have seen dank ass flower grown under that. So I can't like tell people, oh, you're not going to grow dank ass flower. It's just a efficiencies thing. And uh, personally, the HID, one of the biggest things for me is the mercury that you're putting into the environment every six months or a year, unless you're recycling those properly. And I don't know the exact process of that, but replacing bulbs every however many runs is um, just something that that's the real downside for me. It's not the quality of the flower, the yield of the flower, any of those things. It's um, even though I said that the top, whatever companies produce 71% of pollution, I still try to make my footprint as small as possible. Like my wife and I could both have a car. We used to, we got rid of her car because we just didn't need it. Um, little things like that. We live in a smaller place than we could afford, but it costs less to heat and cool. We don't have to run AC. You know, there's a lot of things that each person can do. There's a thing uh, on the radio. If you still listen to the radio anymore, I feel like an old man, but it's called one thing in the U.S. It's like, what's your one thing? It's like, uh, consider, this is funny. They're like, consider starting an indoor garden, which I was surprised to hear. They're like, grow some of your own food and maybe use an LED grow light. And they're like, switch your lights to LEDs. And they didn't like specify this was just talking about like your house lights or whatever. But I was like, hey, I've already done that. And there's a whole bunch of other things. It's like, when you go to the beach, like pick up some stuff or whatever. Like there's a whole bunch of just little tips. And uh, if you go to like one thing, us.com or whatever, they give you ways that you could be more uh, efficient easily in your day-to-day life. So I think more people should try to go about doing things like that. And that one thing adds up, man, just one thing. And, uh, and then you can say, well, I can do one more thing. And then you can say, I can do one more thing before you know it. You're doing a lot of fucking things. I love that growing uh, your own food too. Cause this year I really, kind of took that to heart and uh had some raised beds and I got a lot of vegetables and it's still giving me vegetables like I got so many tomatoes out there it's ridiculous but man it's just like dinner is just as easy as just going out in the backyard grabbing a bunch of vegetables chopping them up frying them in a little olive oil and maybe cook up some sort of meat like some sausage or some some hamburger and throw that in there mix it together and you're done and I can eat that every single day and it's always super super good and it's you know it's just so easy fresh ingredients are uh and locally grown with love, it always makes a difference in the flavor, I think. Uh, we're moving into that second hour of the conversation tonight. Aaron, the grower, I know you jumped in a little bit about the generator talk, but you're probably our resident greenhouse no, I grower. Didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't talk about that. <laughs> but uh, so w- with that being said, we're going to talk a little bit about growing in a greenhouse versus growing outdoors. And I wanted to jump over to you first to ask your thoughts of why. Um, I know you have your own property. You could grow outdoor if you wanted. What are some of the benefits that you enjoy about the uh, growing in the greenhouse and uh, how it compares to your outdoor experience, if you have some? Well, uh, just to be clear, I do. I actually grow in this sort of like semi-outdoor environment. Um, it only I only put plastic up on my hoop house if it rains. Um, but 
the rest of the time it's open air. So, um, do you light that? I do when it's light up season, but right now, you know, this time of year, we're less than uh, 12 hours of light. So, um, I don't need to pull any tarps. I'm basically just, I plant in the same area, you know, and grow in that same area. But, um, uh, you know, uh, sorry, what was the original question? It, uh, so just, um, we're talking about greenhouse growing versus outdoor growing. Cause like the beginning of the conversation, we talked about growing in a grow room versus growing in a tent. So I figured like as a okay, kind of so related conversation. Growing in a greenhouse, um, is really great because you get an even dispersal of light. Like the, uh, clear plastic is going to diffuse light across your, uh, your canopy. It's also going to like reduce a little bit of the intensity. So like on the, uh, hotter days, you know, you're going to have more of a buffer. Um, and some, let's see, some more advantages of a greenhouse, you know, more controlled environment. Um, then, then there's some disadvantages, you know, you're contained in a very particular space. Um, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong quickly and harshly because you're in such a you're inside of a, like a glass house outside. So everything's magnified when it, when the shit hits the fan, it sprays all over. Uh, let's see. So, um, there, Oh, another advantage of a greenhouse is containing your beneficial bugs. So as somebody who uses beneficial bugs and just watches them just fly all the way every time, um, I would save a whole shit ton of money if I had a greenhouse over it. Um, but that said, you can uh, you can bring in good bugs without having a greenhouse over it. So benefit of uh, open air growing is is uh, being able to use the aureus insidiosus and the praying mantis in my area that kind of like to do work. And um, what about birds? Do you get birds coming through there? Yeah, I do. The thing yeah. I see birds do is they like to eat my top dress. And then shit in my soil, so I'm not complaining. But I was just gonna say the shit's there though, right? Yeah, as long yeah, as they're leaving right. the shit, all right. Yeah, yeah. They when I walk into the grow, there's just like a thousand little birds like from the soil. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just top you, you just you just point to them. You say those are my balloon boosters right there. <laughs> yeah, that's my MPK. Yeah, no, it's. Uh... Well, I would th- think that one of the. Um things and this is pretty obvious for you because you do it each year but getting more crops per year than somebody who does like a full season grow oh, where yeah. they have like a few we can grow like, six well, plants in california depth. that's light depth and all you need for a ho- for that is a hoop house and that you don't have to be greenhouse you know uh knowledgeable or anything like that you can be an open air grower and all you really need to know is pull the tarp at seven and open it up at 7 a.m and i've been doing that for a, a really long time pulling tarps by hand and um so with a greenhouse when you're building out a greenhouse and you want to do light depth uh you can and this is how i'm doing it in oklahoma you build a a greenhouse a a nice strong structure and then you put up your depth houses inside the greenhouse and you guys are probably all familiar with that but maybe people at home don't realize that these internal depth houses are are the way to go um when it comes to scaling up light deprivation you can do like the forever flowering greenhouses or next gen where they just slide a full um the way that the greenhouse i'm going to be growing in we're going to have three um shade cloths so the first one will block like 20 percent the next one's 30 percent and then the third one's 100 percent 
and they're actually breathable. So you don't have as much of the issue like a, when you're pulling a tarp, like a panda film, for example, that blocks a lot of the humidity in. Some of these breathable shade cloths actually allow airflow to go in and out, which is nice. But they, um, instead of doing like zones, which you could actually get more crops in one greenhouse per year, like doing different That's how, yeah, things. that's the idea. Like what you're talking about is you can do zones and depth like a table. And then in the table next to it's in like week two of flower, this table's in week four of flower. And now you're harvesting every two weeks or whatever. Right. Um, so there's definitely a ton of options with greenhouse cultivation. I'm personally really excited to get back into it. I've only ever done kind of like your style where I had hoop houses with depths. And there's a thing called the golden arm that we got towards the end where it just like, plugs onto the end of your greenhouse and it's like a little metal arm and it literally just like drapes your tarp over for you and pulls I got it off. buddies I got buddies that have been running those for years but like they always have problems with them it seems like every time it rains or like you know it might snow or something like that it's like oh dude my whole hoop house collapsed because this none of that thing down here in San Diego. sits on on top of it and it like makes a pool I came over to my buddy's house up the road and he had like a uh, just a pool on top and this metal i'm talking like three eighths or what is it that fence post uh you know hoop just collapsed it with like a pool on it and uh man i felt so bad I, that's, I'm like, that's why i pull it by hand and don't put up clear plastic unless it rains and then when it's done raining i pull it off and i get a lot more perps that way because anthocyanin likes to uh to respond to really intense light you prefer the clear poly versus diffuse I've used both. Um, the more opaque you go, um, the harder time you have keeping your yield high. Your consistency will be there and your quality will be there, but, but your yields start to trail off and, and there's like a cost benefit there. But So I'm setting up like a 90-10, I think is what it's called, um, which it's like a, not, uh, it's a 12 mil 90-10, it's like 90% clear clear transparent and then 10 percent um, diffuse yeah so it diffuses 10 percent of the light and then the side walls will be really sturdy because tornadoes and uh and then i'm doing uh i'm gonna dig holes and uh do sort of like a, a version of what i do here in california but i'm gonna do the raised beds inside of the ground so like I'm going to dig holes, so it'll be a submerged area, but then they're going to be raised beds. So I kind of increase my canopy because on the sides of my greenhouse, it's only six feet tall. You know, I'm, I'm mom and pop, dude. I'm funding this thing out of pocket, bro. I'm spending every gonna, little dollar. How are you going to build those beds? What are you, you going to do like a rock layer in the bottom or no. the horizons? Or are you just going to do one big soil mix and dump all that in there? Um, I'm going to do like wood. I, well, I'm deciding between wood and those grassroots fabric pot, um, beds that Brandon's had experience with. and um, The living soil ones with the plastic yeah. sides? Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about those living soil ones with the plastic sides. I might. If, if other people say that it's worth it, I might do it, I'm but it's definitely it's expensive. Well, I mean, even if you fabbed something up yourself by putting a tarp, yeah. you know what I'm saying, or something. But because the, the problem with fabric is that it's great for air pruning, but it also dries out the first you know inch or so of the soil all the way around there's no microbes no fucking root you know it's i know it's but that's why it's submerged that's the part of the idea of it being submerged so that yeah, that's um, cool i like that what were you saying brandon run your ra tires yeah oh my oh I, i'm putting in a wet wall oh no, no no i'm saying uh for the fabric pots yeah 
Yeah, well, the wet wall is going to be humidifying the entire, you know, greenhouse and I'm going to be running, you know, 50 to 60% humidity in there. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing up like a significant portion of my budget to dehuis because I have to keep it under a certain amount. Um, but when I mean, you're coming out, where are you going to be out, uh, out here in Oklahoma? Um, as soon as possible, dude. Like basically I'm hoping to be there by the spring. I think you said where? Of 20. Oh, did you say where? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm like an hour and a half west, southwest of OKC. Southwest. Huh. Brandon's new to Oklahoma, so he might Regretted have to stick in hard right now. <laughs> uh, my, farm's, uh, my farm's in a little town called Craig. It's uh, in the middle of the country. It's about 50 minutes east of Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, you're two and a quarter hours, two and a half hours away. I mean, everything is grids. Uh, it's, the... not, it's not two and a half hours, two and a half hours away here in Texas. So. Like, you can, Oklahoma's not very big. You can drive through the whole state in four hours. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So and so central, I'm, if you're central, here's Texas, I'm right here, bro. No, no, no. I'm west. Any direction from Oklahoma City and you're in a different state. You guys are opposite uh, corners of the state, is what he's saying. Yeah, you're, he's you're bottom in the, left, you're top right. You're well. You're right middle, and I'm left bottom left. Like you're you're, yeah. we're we're like we're you know, we're close enough that like you know I could drive over and uh, throw some russet mites at your farm. You guys have uh, <laughs> more forgiving laws with your greenhouses because here in California you have to get approval by California Department of Wildlife, Fish and Game, Water Board. Oh man, there's so many different approvals you have to go through. So we can't grow in the ground. We have a cement slab that we laid and then we're going to be growing on tables. And even there, we're going to be like uh, capturing the water so that there's no runoff down to that table unless there's an accident happening. Are you getting living soil? But yes. Yeah. yeah. Living soil with pots like I'm doing at my facility. That's exactly how we're running it. Yeah, it'll work. I would prefer beds, but that's what I'm going to be doing in the greenhouses. Pots just because we, if we have a plant that gets sick or dies or has a pest, you can pull it right out and then replace it with a new plant. And um, just the, you know, the, the layout, if when I tell you more about it off air, it'd make a lot more sense. But yeah, I yeah. think doing what you're doing, because we have LED assist uh, light up. So we're going to be basically running like um, similar to indoor uh, conditions as far as temperature, humidity, and light levels but getting the assistance of the sun spectrum. How much ammonia are they allocating to, for like seeds for, to, to start off? Whatever I want. It's uh, pick what you want and you buy it. And that's been the case so far. They have over 200 packs that I personally selected so far for the menu. Ooh, hell yeah, that's what you want to do. Holy the shit. The better. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I can't wait to do some of the pheno hunts. I know uh, we've yeah. got some killer ass shit. And he's like, hey man, whatever you think is good, I trust your opinion, so. I'm buying it if it's available so we'll buy my it. plan is to drop this line and with all the funds that i get i'm gonna try to fund the biggest fund that i can possibly go with however you know with what funds i have next you gotta strike when the fucking iron's hot man this you know the the laws are so forgiving where you're at dude this is this may be the only chance you get so. hey they just implemented metric yesterday fuck man uh, i've been yeah. teaching myself that that's a pain in the ass some of the technicalities with that stuff is so brandon slow. are they hitting like what's the metric been like for you have you ha had to enroll in it yet 
no, I've never used it before. So I told the owners, I was like, hey, they changed the law, so you guys better do something. And you're just waiting on them to make a move. You don't know yet what how it works. They didn't even text me back. Yeah. Dude, I'm really curious because it's 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 like people people like will message me like, oh, it's looking like it's gonna get harder and harder in Oklahoma. And they send me some little law that just happened like this one. But it's like, dude. That's nothing compared to the red tape in California. That is nothing. That's a little jump rope compared to a skyscraper I got to climb. Like, nothing. Yeah, we're filling out paperwork for three years in the future. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna make sure that the people, that the business owners that I, you know, that are that, I'm, that I contract with, I'm gonna tell them that you guys should get a dispenser, integrate that, be fully vertically integrated before yep. any more laws passed. And I'm going to do the Grandfather same. Grandfather in. I'm going to probably try to get my girlfriend a vertically integrated spot as well, something, even if it's just small, just so we have that paperwork before anything changes. That way, if anything does change, we still have that, you know, because they're not going to take the shit away once you already have it. Yeah. Not to switch topics uh, back to what we were talking about, and I see Spartan Grounds ripping a bomb, so I'll give a slow intro to this, but I know, Spartan, you grow outside a little bit yourself, but you've got sequence over there that you're uh, helping out occasionally in the greenhouse, so at least you're seeing some greenhouse growing in Michigan going on. Um, do you have any thoughts or considerations on the outdoor versus greenhouse situation in Michigan and just in general? Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. You know, that's that's a weird question. It's a hard question for me to answer. I've always been the, the outdoor grow, so from the outdoor looking in, I guess, uh, it just seems like heaven to me to be able to have a covering over my plants because all of the years that were the least successful, it was because of weather. It was because, you know, rain at the end of the season or pests at the end of the season. And I just want to believe that having that glass around me would make that so much easier. Like Aaron brought up a, one of the best points is predators. How much more effective are your predators going to be when they can't really get out? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's got to be better than just being wide out in the open. It's got to be. So I agree with um, that. You know, yeah. so yeah. So just from those, like, like I said, the outside looking in kind of thing, it seems, you know, if you have the budget or you have a way to get under glass or even plastic, um, do it. I, even when I grew outside, I always stressed in the spots if I had a way, because here in Michigan, you have to, to be legal, you have to have it completely enclosed and locked. Um, so I always would throw a lot of people didn't put tops on them, but I would always throw, try to throw some kind of a cross support so that I could throw plastic over it and, and just have it rolled up and ready to go with a bungee strap or something. So that when the, you know, the weird storm was coming that nobody was waiting for, or it's hail at the end of the season or some ridiculousness, all you had to do is get out there with a ladder and just pull that tarp and you're done. Spartan, since uh, I know you are love uh, the option of maybe getting out of that weather, uh, dude grows you may have even seen this and i've talked about it a little bit in the past they showed a cattle panel greenhouse and for those who don't know cattle panel is like a sort of pliable you can buy it in rolls even it's like a metal sheet with basically like trellis but they're a little bit bigger so a cattle can't get through but also burglars couldn't get into your greenhouse essentially so what they do is they bend that over and they make the top of the greenhouse and all the sides with cattle panel and then they basically put some sort of uh, poly over that and then you use i think it was wood or, or metal supports you can use like rebar on the ground to stake it in but for a few hundred dollars they were able to make a lockable and like basically um, mostly criminal proof and like deer other animal proof greenhouse so i just figured i'd bring that up for uh, 
consideration and uh, for those seasons that you guys do get those rains that make it a little bit more difficult to finish? Another, what we did was um, the last few years that I grew outdoor, we were growing in pig pens. So he'd raise pigs, um, they would go to slaughter and we'd get those early in the year, probably January, we'd get that meat. And then come springtime, we'd get that, that area uh, ready to, for planting, you know? And it was awesome because that's where the, the, the pigs had been. So it was a pig enclosure. And what we did was we just made it, we just got more pig panels which is similar to what you're saying, except for it's way more heavy duty. It's not really bendable. Um, and we just did another layer higher. So there was, you know, cause pig panels are only, I think maybe three or four feet tall. They're, they're pretty short yeah. panels. So we stacked them double high uh, on the four by fours to, to make a, a fence that was tall enough for what we were doing. And that then just, the job. Put, just put two by fours across for the supports and then plastic. Yeah, Michigan has some interesting laws. I've seen some gardens out there where they have like basically like fences and some people like fenced over the top, like a chain link fence almost. And uh, some can get just has that. to be enclosed. Yeah, uh, we were using one at one year we used deer paneling or not paneling deer fencing. It's like a really lightweight plastic, but uh, we just use that to cover the top. That way the sun could still get through and uh, it would keep a little bit of stuff out birds, things like that. I also like the picture. I think you or sequence in our chat, it was like a plant and they're like, Hey, look, somebody, it was sequence. I think actually he's like, somebody is using this to keep their ladybugs in. And it was like a mosquito net type thing wrapped around like two plants that they had outdoor. Yeah. So they were using that as their predator, which I know yeah. it can be effective. The larva or nymphs more so than anything, but uh, it's interesting. Matt, did you have any thoughts on that since I brought it up? On the I, like, I liked that. Um, that I, um, I was just actually talking to somebody right before the um, right before this session, and uh, we were discussing that they had bug screen, they had insect screen, but they didn't have, and they'd never heard of like thrips screen. So like thrips, for those who haven't ever dealt with them, and to them, I to you guys, I say good job. Um, it won't be forever, as if you grow statistically, you'll you'll encounter the thrips, and they're very tiny, very small. And this thrip screen is woven in a special way so that they can't even, even these small little um, insects cannot break through. And um, just something as simple as like putting a screen like that will keep a lot of your like larger sort of um, micro arthropods, I guess you could say, like your lady beetles or your lacewing larvae. Um, probably not your predatory mites as much, but um, I don't think that they would. I mean, depending on how small it is, they might also just not, you know, they don't really squeeze through things very much. They, they kind of look for like openings that they don't have to worry about kind of egressing. But um, I, I think that sometimes low tech ideas like that, they can actually pan out pretty well. Um, I'm a big advocate of like low tech, but high efficacy and impact factor um, techniques, you know? So that was that was actually kind of a neat way to do that, right? Yeah, it was an impl implementation I don't see used too often, but it was, in my opinion, probably effective for that situation. And that's where it's really important to, like you say, consider um, basically the situation at hand. You know, each person's circumstances are unique. And so certain things might work really well for somebody and uh, not work in other situations. So I'm glad that we get to jump into some of these more niche situations. Kyle, I know you've been a little quiet over there. Have you ever grown outdoors or in a greenhouse? Yeah, I had a uh, I had a uh, pineapple and autoflower crop last year, and uh, 
I mean, I ended up getting a PM, which was horrible. And I think I had the, the my basement windows open, which I think it might have blown into there too, which possibly might have given me PM too. I'm still unsure that or that. Uh, we talked about last week how my uh, my air filter fell on the ground, but uh, yeah, and I got blood rot, so I had like a trifecta of issues. I mean, uh, and luckily I found it. I just started like one random. I had these massive colas with this one random brown leaf, and I was just like, oh, that's that's pretty interesting. So I cracked it open inside. I started like this deep black brown hairy mass and then uh, i basically ended up throwing out like 60 percent of all my flour um that's a bummer so yeah I, I, would, I would definitely say it's important to make sure that you try and grab genetics that have been grown in those conditions and uh, can sustain you know decent uh, outdoor conditions yeah a lot of people um i've been hearing on different shows recently have talked about like if you live in michigan maybe using a michigan breeder who's grown it outdoor or if you're in Northern California, you know, in that area, there's a lot of people that have bred and grown it there. So that stuff's more likely to make it. And in the early days, a lot of stuff was coming from Amsterdam. People would work with that stuff and get it to climatize a little bit to their area. And it ended up being better oftentimes than the stuff that they could buy or um, even the stuff they were gifted from friends locally that worked. As long as it works for a season, I think a lot of the guys in Michigan, they have a really brutal end of the year. So anything that can actually finish out there um, is sort of, a good thing to try and run the next season because if it did it once then there's a good chance that it might be able to do it again where a lot of stuff's just not going to make it at all that reminds me of another point um i was uh you know i was talking i don't remember who came up with the idea or, or who told who but we'll just say it was decided that and it worked great that um in the greenhouse out here uh, sequences and uh, uh, i'm gonna forget his name again FCF, what does it stand for? Fresh Cut Farms. I remembered it. Anyways, at their greenhouse, they they interplanted. So interplanted autoflowers between the, the photo period plants. So the autoflowers are now all harvested and they've got a bumper. I mean, it's actually being trimmed now. So harvested and dried. And um, so they're sitting, we're, you know, we're sitting there trimming now and the main crop is just, you know, probably halfway through flowering so that's pretty pretty cool to get like a bumper crop well and shout out to uh the michigan bros grow show and you and abolished farms you guys did a review a little smoke review session over there where you smoked on some of that um auto flower bud that sequence grew in the greenhouse so that was pretty yeah, cool to see that highlighted yeah yep we smoked some of that anvil and it was cool it was the first time i ever smoked uh, auto flower outdoor and uh, it was pretty pretty good uh, flower. I, I got to tip my hat to full duplex there. It's a, it's a good cultivar. It's something I'd probably, uh, I'm, I'm thinking I might try some autos outdoor next year, right in the backyard. And uh, I might have to hit them up, get some of those anvil from them. I got to say, it looks beautiful too. I mean, it consistently gets that velvety purple and it just, um, across the line, it seems to perform really, really well. I've seen a ton of people have incredible gardens with that, indoor, outdoor, greenhouse. Uh, speaking of Dr. MJ, I know you grow some autos, uh, not necessarily full duplex, but I've seen you grow some killer autos. And I remember you telling a story once of your wife growing, a, I think it was an autoflower, but maybe just a plant in one of the windows. Um, do you have any plans of doing more stuff like that in the future? Or do, would you ever consider like a balcony grow? Or is there any option for you to do outdoor grow? I know for myself, it's not right now, but I'm just curious if you have any input on this matter. Um, yeah, my wife took a, a little plant that I gave up on because it wasn't keeping up with the rest of them. And she, uh, she grew it behind the couch. She didn't tell me she had taken it. Um, and she was uh, feeding it with my runoff water from the rest of my plants. 
Um, and I didn't notice it until it was like damn near ready to harvest. It was the most surprising thing I've ever found behind my couch. I can guarantee you that was like a cannabis plant fully ready to harvest. Um, yeah, it was, sometimes we have a plant out there, but I mean, unless it's an auto, because we have a bunch of plants, uh, we have sliding glass doors that face south and that whole like sort of six feet of room inside of that glass, <laughs> those glass sliding doors are a big garden with potted house plants. Um, uh, we often end up with a cannabis plant there, but they, they often sort of um, don't get harvested. <laughs> They're sort of more decorative plants. Um, they do really good at processing runoff water. So it's sort of the best plant to feed your, your runoff water to for waste processing purposes is another cannabis plant. Um, but yeah, no, not until we get more space. I'm, I'm in a pretty small condo. So I try to, I mean, it, it, my wife, I have the most patient wife on the planet. I just, everybody has to be able to appreciate that. If you've seen any of my light testing videos, that's done in my dining room. Um, and in order to do the light testing in the dining room, I have to move the buffet and the hope chest and the table and all the chairs um, out into the living room. So the living room becomes like a furniture storage area. Um, I take over that dining room area is setting up for my, my grow light testing station. My whole office back here is my grow area. I got the, the spare bedroom is like full of my pots and cocoa and also it's like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta downsize anything I've taken over the condo. I'm glad that she uh, puts up with it. I'll say that. Shout out to <laughs> yeah, she's a patient but I actually got to get going too. I was leaving a, a message about that in the chat to you guys. I already sort of said goodbye to the, the chatters here. I'm like behind with everything and I'm not ready for my classes this week. I'm also trying to, to pretend like I'm a college professor. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and sign off. Um, I hope everybody has a great rest of your show panelists. Um, you guys are doing wonderfully without me. I have no doubt that, uh, you'll have wonderful content for the rest of the show. Um, chatters, you know, it's, um, it's, um, yeah, it was fun. I think, I think that was fun. Anyways, there were some not fun parts of the chat today, but, um, I, I still have a lot of great love for all of you guys. Um, if anybody does, this came up in chat, if you guys have any questions about my credibility with my light testing or anything, I'll let my material stand on its own. I don't really care what haters in chat say. Um, but I love you all. Have a wonderful time. Good luck with your grows. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace out, Doc. I want to shout out Dr. MJ has a grow challenge that's kicking off on October 1st. That is Jack Greenstock's birthday. He will be participating in the grow challenge. I'm going to be in the low stress training category. Uh, I've got three berry lights plants that I haven't topped for the first time in three years. Uh, so I'm growing out some low stress strain plants. I just transplanted them. I'm going to flip them on the uh, near the full moon almost. So it should be a good time. I'm excited to grow along in the community because I know Dr. MJ has got a great thing going at CocoForCannabis.com. If you're not already over there, check out the forum because uh, there's something nice about old school forums where you actually see it post after post. A lot of people on Instagram aren't like myself who I only follow can cannabis content. So that's all I ever see. Some people see tattoos and ladies and people flying on an airplane and food and every other thing but not that there's anything wrong with that but if you're just looking for cannabis content there's a great place over at coco for him <laughs> gotta breathe when you talk right coco for cannabis.com <laughs> shout out to dr mj thanks for joining us yeah thank you jack and grover love guys grows love doctor yeah i know that uh, sometimes the people in the chat can be uh 
strong in their ways, but we love you all for showing up. Everybody's got their own opinion and uh, feelings about certain technologies and lighting sometimes gets heated, especially if uh, certain technology is not being tested. But I think to give Doc some credit, he's reached out to certain companies and if they don't want to send you their lights and um, you just buy their light and test it, then they can come after you like legally. That's happened to other people. I think Shane at Migro or Migro has had that happen. People are like, oh, test this one, test this company. This company's great. And then they want to, but um, certain companies get upset about that kind of thing. So he's testing a lot of lights. He's given a lot of lights away. So um, be easy on the doctor. He gives his time to us each week. He's a wealth of knowledge and shares a bunch of stuff in the community. So much love, Dr. MJ. <laughs> I love the, the chat, but sometimes uh, there are some back and forth. And I think the name calling just is uh, where it gets inappropriate. You know, say, state your case. Everyone's allowed to have their opinion, but don't make personal attacks, you know. I just want to put it at that. That being said, Mystic Mushroom made an observation. It says, I've never seen ATG so high as on your show. And he was talking to Eagle on Eagle's show. <laughs> oh, dude, I was, I was lit, bro. I was, I mean, I don't drink very much. And I had two beers by the end of that show. And I was like, so I was, he's like, all right, time to do your, your sign <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, your sound your bite. Sound bite. And I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I don't remember what I said even. It sounded so I'm Aaron dumb. the Grower and I'm fucking talking shit with Eagle. That's yeah. what everybody has to say. That's your little advertisement. I think I said show. I'm watching fucking talking shit with Eagle or something. It was, it was, hey, I it worked it out. up for sure. I fucked it up. Everyone messes it up for the most part. People take two, three, four takes sometimes, but occasionally somebody gets it on the first take. Oh, but, I didn't know I got to do multiple takes. Yeah, you know, sometimes people just oh. are like, no, 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 I got to retire. They'll, they'll like start it off and they won't even get it out all the way. So <laughs> it's uh, one of those things, man. It's a, another great show in this community. He's an every night show. So shout out to Eagle Gardens. He's been in the chat. He's waving to Kate Armstrong right now. He's saying, right on, Jack Greenstock. Right on, Eagle Gardens. He's a good dude. I'm about to pop some of his sangria that he sent me. Rest in peace, Subcool. Great breeder. That's a wine-flavored uh, cannabis cultivar. I'm looking forward to growing it, but I know I'm going to be pollinating it with uh, his Chernobyl, which is a lime, heavy lime, like margarita. I'm hunting for a male in that, and I'm going to pollinate the sangria. I'm going to pollinate the Chernobyl females for F2s, which I'm going to give to Mystic Grower for free seeds for Subcool. And then I'm going to pollinate my buddy Vegan Doja's Del Norte Fuel, which I'm going to call uh, Fuel Noble, maybe. Like Chernobyl with fuel. I don't know. Little gas with some lime. Well, have different names if uh, the flavors end up being different. But I look forward to making some more seeds to get out to the community. Spartan's growing some of mine right now. Bad luck to name your baby before it's born. Yes, I know, but I'm confident. You gotta, you no, gotta believe kidding. to achieve. That's something I just made up, dude. That's not true. No, a lot of people say that, especially in breeding, because uh, yeah. you look for something and it doesn't show up, and you're disappointed. I, I'm I not a breeder. Believe. I'm just a grower. So I'm check this out. I'm not an on-purpose breeder. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that goes. I got What's a fridge full of those, dude. We're filling up uh, two greenhouses, right? Two. We, we're getting two 95 foot long by 35 foot wide greenhouses. One of them is going to be filled up with the clones that I of stuff that I selected as the last one, and then um, one of those greenhouses, 550 plants, is all going to be pheno hunt. So I already sprouted all of the old seed stock that I had from San Diego, all like the Bull Rider P91 crosses, Super Silver Haze crosses, the MK Ultra stuff, the Blueberry Trainwreck stuff. So I have, all, dude, I have like so much stuff going from so many different uh places tga capulator uh uh 
Dude, I just have to, I have so much stuff. It's crazy. How many did you pop in that first hunt where you are growing the stuff from that hunt now? Because you said about 550. What, what's the initial hunt that you guys did? Okay, so the first one that I did at Majestic was, I think I did 100 and like, uh, ended up with 100 and I think like 40. 48 i think it was like 148 different uh plants um and that was like i don't know 15 different varieties and then but i and i killed off probably 120 males so you had about uh 30 females to look through 30 you no. said 150 plants no and 120 no. were male no i did like uh, what was it like 150 it was like 320 or something like that total i think 120 of them were male i don't i can't remember i can't do the math right now it's but like i had about 120 males out of the out of whatever it was the bunch and i ended up with a like a, a right around 150 that i selected from okay cool so i was just curious out of uh what pool you were selecting from kyle um I don't know if you want to share the actual number. You could say, hypothetically, I did a hunt. I don't know about me. And uh, I know Brandon's got unlimited plant counts over there, so everyone's drooling and salivating over that ability and his setup. But you talked about growing, I think you said you popped one of, at least a few of every single one of crosses that you made recently. So um, what's the hunt size that you're doing right now, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I mean, my original seed stock before I moved, or not seed stock, uh, female hunt, I had like 150 to 200, but, uh, so, but all the crosses were like beautiful. So, um, well, not all of them, but, um, you know, so, uh, at the moment, <clears throat> uh, I don't know, somewhere around 50, something like that. But I mean, I dwindle that right down. I mean, uh, I'm like wicked selective when it comes to, uh, moving forward with certain things and, you know, I understand a lot of people like to flower them out first just to see. But for me, if, if the beginning doesn't go well, uh, then it just doesn't qualify for things for me moving forward. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I'd say, like, <clears throat> so far, I mean, a lot of them are in – some of them are in flower now. And uh, one – basically one plant from each of those crosses turned out to be pretty damn beautiful. So I'm pretty uh, – uh, you know, I'm not too unhappy with what things are going. That's always nice. And I, I'm a, actually used to be of the – thought that if i'm doing a hunt i only call it a hunt if i grow out that many plants all the way to flower and smoke them but now i'm more like uh me and gene from mendocino is a breeder i respect a lot brandon's gonna be working with him i believe that he said that he'll kill stuff off even at very early like even seedling sometimes and he'll keep stuff at seedling sometimes based on the smell from it as a seedling alone and you can start getting smells off of stuff at seedling stage so that's a lot earlier than i know a lot of other people call but i know you kyle have mentioned in the past about structure and veg like wanting more symmetrical stuff and and vigorous growing things which is definitely admirable um well you said a few of the crosses didn't make it um and i know a lot of readers don't necessarily talk about these things commonly but i think it would be enlightening for the audience to know what was it that would make something not make the cut for you well i mean as <clears throat> unfortunately as we all know i mean uh you know visual wise uh you know visual cells. Um, so, you know, depending on, uh, trichome production, and I'm sure that, you know, I've probably thrown stuff away that maybe had cannabinoid profiles that were, um, 
maybe significant in other manners, but uh, I don't, for me, I don't have the funds to be testing every single flower I have to, to work that system. I mean, so as you guys know, uh, so I just basically uh, had an interview with a company that uh, I'll be running a 10,000 square foot facility in, uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, so I'll be able to have a lot more options with that because I'm basically completely in control of the whole operation. Which yes. should be, yeah, it should be an interesting endeavor. Um, I have like a project manager, a guy that I'm kind of close with that will be like kind of checking in once in a while, but that's kind of all that is. But uh, so yeah, I'll be able to kind of maybe do more of those testing to kind of maybe cater to cannabinoid specific profiles. But um, yeah, it's just visual. So again, so my whole thing is structure. If the structure is good and it's vigorous and, you know, um, you know, because you know, you guys have all seen it. You know, sometimes the secondary, the first set of secondaries on the very lower shoot up past the can the the canopy of the top, but then the other ones are like trying to catch up. And so I just kind of look for, uh, basically somewhat normal or uh, you know, like you said, symmetrical structure, um, but, but mostly visual, visual and performance. Um, and you know, it's just kind of, I mean, we're all in the market to <clears throat> a for personal, and you know, a lot of us that are growing for the people, it's uh, obviously needs to look look beautiful so um you know trichome production terpenes i mean a, a lot of times the plant will have a bunch of trichome production but doesn't really have uh you know the terpenes to back it up but i'll kind of still keep those um just because i still think they're special in many ways and you can kind of do things with breeding and still pass on you know so you have a plant that has immense terpene production but doesn't really have the trichome you can kind of cross those two, those two together and hope that you get the the blend of both so, so kyle of- i had one question with um your initial sort of process you were doing a ton of stress testing and you were trying to weed out any hermaphrodism and you found some clones that wouldn't harm even under extremely uh, volatile conditions and when you bred those clones together did any of your crosses that you sent out to testers end up having instability and did any lines not get released for that reason yes so <clears throat> which is weird but um, yeah so i had a breeders cherry cake which is a wedding cake cross with my afghan cherries uh, i had one grower that uh basically said they harm and i immediately uh, i mean but the, weirdly the, the it was the biggest yield i've ever seen on like a cannabis plant and i mean it was like i, I don't want to say a two liter because that's kind of being uh way too much about it but it's just like massive yields but i still had to pull it but i'm actually running them myself to kind of sift through it just because i was so baffled by how big the yields were between the you know the blend of those two cultivars um but other than that i've had I haven't had any problems and what i also want people to understand is if if you have like mites or like like massive severe problems it's still going to eventually revert no I, I can't say that bulletproof but like you know like one of the kids that you know that i had growing my lions had like all these problems like mites and and sicknesses and was complaining that it harmed it's like well at some point the plant still does have natural characteristics to to continue itself but my goal is to bring it to that point where you know, it can handle basically as much as it can before it does trigger. But other than that, to answer your question specifically, no, I've had, other than that one line, uh, I'm actually very happy. <clears throat> and all the crosses that I popped, I, have, I haven't seen a a, a a nana or anything in any of my seed stocks uh, ever since I did that uh, initial, you know, that one year. Basically, it took me a year to get to that point, you know, so, I mean, because you have to stress it and then clone it and then grow it out. And then uh, it's just a whole process. But no, I haven't had any problems at all. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. Shout out to you, man. That's uh, awesome to have a goal and really accomplish it with, I don't know how many lines you have, but it's, it's many more than one. And to have stability and feminized seed lines is an awesome thing. And so that goes to show the community, you put the work in and test your stuff and, uh, you know, have testers run your offspring. You can produce yourself some good feminized seed without a lot of uh, instability. I want to give Spartan Grown a chance to 
give his uh, sign out so he can have some times with the dog and maybe use the bathroom, get some water before he goes on to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Jack. You are an awesome host. Appreciate everybody on the panel and chat. You guys are killing, fucking killing me today. Awesome. Uh, hanging out with you guys. Uh, I did want to say one thing. I agree with, was it Jack you brought it up? I agree with uh, being able to get the smells early on. Like all my keepers right now, it's like my, my Spartan glue, you know, it smells that dank in early veg you smell it and i'm super excited because i got that with a cut that i got from uh m2 uh michigan medicated shout out to her it's a sour diesel and so for one it's sour diesel and for two it's it's given me that smell early in veg so i'm super excited and i just threw that in the flower so it's gonna be a while but uh i'm really super it's loud excited. that was the yeah. founding of loud seeds he was just on a future cannabis project talking about like the origins of sour diesel so that's one to check yeah, it's only two hours long and it's full of uh, some pretty interesting information but that's a literally stinky cultivar and it's got really really loud smell even in veg like you're talking about super excited about that i'm gonna have to watch that episode i, I remember uh, somebody threw it in the chat i just didn't get a chance to watch it yet uh, but anyway shout out to chat i gotta get going i have to pee so bad and uh growers love everybody <laughs> take care buddy and us peace out spartan grown always appreciate your time and i look forward to watching you on the michigan bros grow show later tonight and uh, appreciate all the input you gave this evening, uh, really on both ends, the grow room and indoor-outdoor conversation contributed a lot. So thank you. Problem. Thanks for uh, shouting out the next show for me, because that was my job and I fucked that up. <laughs> Thanks. You were like sitting there like, damn, I should, I was supposed to do that. Yeah, as soon as he said, I was like, yes. Yes. Thanks, you can, Jack. You can PayPal Jack like 10 bucks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's host, hostly duties. I think that's... Advertising, uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> cost become part of the uh, gig here I, i'm i get used to like if somebody forgets to plug their social media i'll shout it out or if they don't say it loudly and clearly i'll repeat it so that the people in the chat can find you people you're a great panel i really appreciate all your time and i want to make sure that the people that want to find you can find you because all of us i think are doing uh, our part in trying to make the world grow better cannabis and have better access to clean quality homegrown and that's a really admirable cause i think all of us can get behind that. Whether you grow with HPS or LED, whether you grow in soil or in hydro, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. We should all be a community and, and sort of be one together and trying to get the best possible laws and regulation, things that uh, accommodate us because we're all just trying to be happy, functioning members of society. And at the end of the day, a lot of the times we don't get treated like that. <laughs> we get treated unfairly and uh, can't do the things that would follow our passion. Um, like if we want to breed, you might not be able to grow as many plants as you want to if, say, you were a hot pepper breeder. Like, I'd love to just be able to grow however many plants I want, and certain people can't do that. So I think it's uh, always important to stay on top of your local laws and things like that and try and advocate for growers and um, be aware. It's always uh, easy to slip into being comfortable, even if you're growing in like a red state. You're like, ah, I figured out how to be safe. Just, uh, I think, always try and Make, make the world a little bit better place if you can. So with that said, we've got about nine minutes left. Does anybody have any final thoughts on either of the topics we touched on tonight, the grow room versus uh, I like what you said. Uh, I just want to kind of jump on a little bit and, and say, I think a lot of people would assume that Brandon and I might have like competition in Oklahoma, but like, you know, we're buddies. And first of all, and second of all, um, I'm going to benefit from him being there. He's an experienced breeder. He's going to go breed a thousand bazillion plants and figure out the best one. 
And then I'm going to go to his website, clickety, clickety, click and buy me some seeds and grow some fire plants that he's worked. And so like, what, how do I, you know, and I'll probably drop off some fire hash or something for him on the way. So it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know. Well, hey, here's the thing. Uh, it's just about community. You know, cannabis is really the foundation of cannabis is community. And if you can't get that community aspect, then what happens is a bunch of fucking assholes come in that don't know what the fuck is going on and regulate everything. California, baby. It takes it takes the whole fucking community to be like, nah, we're shutting this down. Like, and Oklahoma is on it, dude. They, there's like so many attorneys that are protecting the patients out there, and it's just it's all about the patients. Like California in the '90s. There's no oversupply of great quality clean cannabis. I'll say that. So both of you guys being providers of great quality clean cannabis, there's not an oversupply of it. You know, it's not like in too high of a supply. So there both of you can it. produce as much as you want and it's going to sell for high dollar because there's not enough of it. There's not enough people doing what all of us are doing, either at the home scale or at the commercial the, scale. The economy market here is strong. So, you know, there's a ton of economy buyers. You know, um, that being said, I, I'd like to sign off. I kind of got a headache. I need to get some water. Go ahead. Well, well, why don't you stay on for me to give this compliment, which is that the real way that Brandon is going to help uh, Aaron um, as a community member is by raising the standard um, and making it so that people actually have access to things that are high quality and knowing what it is. So um, I look forward to seeing uh, you and Aaron, Brandon, uh, persevere. And I uh, look forward to our mutual success. Oh yeah, and uh, well, hopefully we'll be seeing you out here pretty shortly. I, I, I texted right. you. Yes, I did. And I, I have to. I have to get some logistical stuff figured out. Um, but uh, I will be talking to you about that very shortly. And um, I really look forward to everything. Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm Brandon Rust. If you guys want to find my social media, it's Rust Brandon on IG. You can find a link to my company, Bokashi Earthworks. And uh, yeah, just follow along. I'm like, I feel like I'm living in a movie right now because I'm just, I mean, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> I work constantly from 6 a.m. to like, you know, 10 at night. I'm doing something, but uh, it's going to all pay off in the end. They're going to make movies about and maybe you, uh, but people doing what we're doing. I mean, Burner's doing it right now. There's a movie called PAX, talking about people growing and, and hustling cannabis. It's part of the new world, and there's going to be a lot of attention both uh, in the media, both articles about people growing it legally like you're doing. I'm sure that there's probably local press in Oklahoma that's going to want to cover all of the media frenzy behind cannabis. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, Brandon. Uh, you're rocking it over there. Don't let anybody keep you down. And uh, thank you so much for your time and all that you're sharing. I think it's awesome that you have that open source kind of mentality and you're sharing all your methods and ways of being successful so that other people can try their best to replicate it. Yep. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Peace out. So we have about five minutes left. It's 555. That's like a lucky uh, number out here, I guess, um, on the West Coast. So I want to give everybody an opportunity to give their final sign outs, starting with Kyle, because I know I never start with you first. I feel special today. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for everybody for being here, man. You know, it's, uh, I try and some, some days I look back, it's like, man, we've been we've been doing this for a while now. It doesn't definitely doesn't seem like a whole year, but um, you know, I still love it, and uh, you know, I try and put in what I can. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to find any anything that I'm doing, which uh, I should have a lot more flower photos now that all my stuff's kind of going into flower. Uh, I think they got like two weeks left, but uh, you can find me at Predicative Breeding. 
on all social media platforms. If you're looking for good feminized seeds, pbreeding.com. Um, you know, you're able to pick singles, which a lot of people don't. They kind of just think you get 10 packs or five packs or something, uh, which I think helps the community a little bit better. Because I remember, you know, at some point, uh, I just only had like 20 or $30, but I wanted to like find some new females or something. Uh, so I feel like it kind of helps out in some regards. But uh, yeah, thanks for everyone for being here, Jack. Thanks for hosting and keeping the show alive. And uh, I appreciate everybody and take care. We appreciate you, Kyle. I, I see a lot of people growing your genetics, people that have been on this panel, uh, Dr. MJ, uh, Chef OMJ. He's always welcome back. I, I don't know if he listens or uh, if he has the time to come on or not, but we always appreciate his input as well. And so, Kyle, thank you for making that option available. I think it's cool that you make one packs. I personally wouldn't be the type of person to buy them. I like to have like a little stock in case I want to pop more. But for those people that only have X amount of dollars to spend on genetics, if they want to get good quality tested genetics, pbreeding.com. Make sure to follow Kyle at Predicative Breeding. Next up, we got Aaron, the grower. Dude, it's so funny. As you guys are saying that, I realized I was cleaning out my car today and I found two lamb's bread breed seeds that I had totally forgotten about like years just in the crevices of my car. And I just looked in my pocket and they're not there. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I got to go search for them. So uh, on that note, I am Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres on Instagram. Um bit busy with stuff so my instagram's a little bit right now but um feel free to like jump on ask me any grow questions i still respond to you know dms and oh and matt and i are doing uh i almost forgot to mention this matt and i are doing a uh, a live this week what day is it matt next week or i guess oh, it's this week because it's this, this week. sunday um 23rd right the yeah that's right the topic will be um how to how did various pests like insects and fungi and bacteria like colonize and infect and infest plants how does it happen why does it happen what can you do to mitigate it and what can't you do to mitigate it in certain cases so that's going to be the topic yep so we're excited to bring that to you in just a few days uh we'll post about it let you know when it's going to be um i appreciate the panel uh, I had a lot of fun. I love arguing with you guys, all the smart guys on the panel. I love everybody ch chiming in. And and I hate that we didn't even get to talk about your rolling brownout blackout generator thing. Yeah. I have <laughs> input on that too. So maybe next uh, week. Next time perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I jumped on too quick and I just, anyway, so. Give us the spoiler, the two second uh, quick take. Um, you have generators. Always have a generator. Yes. Yeah, always. Um, power good <laughs> power good when power not around <laughs> <laughs> so yeah oh and thank you to the chat um even though there was a lot of uh you know crazy kind of speak i uh, i'm okay with that shit and sometimes i just like if i if i don't like the way somebody's talking to me i just don't look at it so just know if you chatters are dicks, we're just going to turn away or we might engage you and roast your bitch ass. So be careful. But anyway, love you guys. Appreciate you guys being there and listening to us. So thank you. And demonetize. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we don't monetize anyway. So you can't take anything away that we don't already have. So we just do this for the fun and the education and taking care of the good people in the chat, sharing the information, the knowledge, love uh, to the community. I think you know, if we could spread love and, and knowledge, that's a great use of our time here on this earth. So next up, Matthew Gates, you can give your final thoughts. Yeah, so um, 
I really enjoyed the interaction this iteration. Um, by the way, wow, 116. That's, I think, the highest I've seen is the watching now. Oh, now 115. I better be quiet. Uh, but uh, a lot of people um, watching this particular session, really happy to see that number increase. Um, always gratifying that people. And also, like Brandon said, it's kind of surreal that I get to do what I like, spread that information to people, you're interested in that information you can find uh pest primer videos and other sort of pest videos on my youtube channel xenthanol the same channel that i was commenting in so if you want to you can just search for my comments and click on there and check my stuff out i have a faq video that i do monthly that um if you have any questions you can probably still i'll probably take a few more questions um through my various social medias which are instagram at sync angel twitter at sync angel and uh, Zenthanol on YouTube. Um, and I suppose if you really, really want to know more about me, you can learn about my super secret uh, military past, which is actually not the case. But uh, you can learn more about me in uh, the Eagle, the talking, fucking talking show with Eagle episode 181. Why do I know it's 181? Because my friends didn't tell me that I had to do the sign out. So anti shout out to them. That's Sorry, I thought you were in the chat when I was telling um, Aaron and Doc the one week they were about to go on, and I was like, the one thing you have to know is when he says you got to do the soundbite before you go, you got to say your name and that you're fucking talking shit with Eagle. The whole number thing—that's new. He just started throwing that in there, so I was only like episode five, so he didn't, didn't ask have me to... to do that. Oh, maybe I didn't have to do it, but I did it. <laughs> hey it's for the advertising to get people to watch that next episode and it's just uh he's gonna do like each hundred episodes he does a super cut where it's like everybody well, I did a just sound bite, the basics yeah yep. but I yeah i just added the episode, episode. i remember oh. i just yeah that's all it's that's recent because he clips it and shares it to instagram and then people will be like oh he was on fucking talking shit with eagle episode 181 they could find it easier and they could go back and listen so shout out to eagle with that being said we're going a little overtime i don't want to cut into the michigan bros grow show so i'll keep my shout out super short at jack greenstock you can see right there behind me uh thank you all for coming love everybody here in the live chat make sure you hit that thumbs up button to support shane and the rest of us on this panel and it helps all these other people like uh matthew was talking about the 100 plus people that were here tonight that's crazy to think about because i've performed in front of crowds before and 100 people is a pretty large audience so if that was all in person it'd be a pretty phenomenal uh, environment so when things are more open in public hopefully that can happen someday so i look forward to meeting you guys in the chat someday thank you for listening thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next week peace out jack greenstock signing out <laughs>